welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to exploring all the mysteries of existence in this ineffable universe we call home, as well as everything weird, dark, or cryptic in the world. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, the world-renowned Dr. Margaret Rogers Van Koops, a famous esoteric author and veteran paranormal researcher. She's She's been around since before it was even okay to talk about this kind of stuff. So it's definitely going to be a treat for you, listener. Dr. Margaret is on the cusp of releasing her new book and soon to be a possible movie. Her life is an amazing story that should be enjoyed in her books, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but let's just say she's one of the most interesting people you'll ever meet. And... You should definitely check out her work. All the information will be in the show notes. And uh, make sure you stick around to the end of the show to not miss any of her content to come. But let's just hop right into it, shall we? I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Welcome, listener. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Margaret Rogers Van Koops, author of 17 books on the esoteric and metaphysical, including The Dark Side, The Rejection Syndrome, Quantum Entanglement, and My Journey into Oneness. Dr. Margaret also runs a prolific blog and website dedicated to her higher calling. Dr. Margaret is a medium, healer, hypnotherapist, metaphysiotherapist, Doctor of Integrated Medicine, ordained minister, psychic, counselor, healer, and much more. Dr. Margaret, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, I love my work. I've been doing it my whole life. So um, I'm always growing and evolving myself as well. And I hope, you know, I'll have another 20 years or so to do some more. Please, Dr. Margaret, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? And is there any sneak peeks you can give us possibly into your latest projects? Well, actually, I'll start with that first. Uh, My publisher and uh, producer is working on getting up my latest book, which is the 17th one or 18th one. I'm not sure. It's called um, uh, The Light Side of the Oneness. And that's about the evolution of the fragmentation of all the aspects of what makes the oneness. And we as individuals are fragments. And so I'm showing in that book how we ascend and the ascended ones descend and they come down here and show up as uh, leaders, gurus, and I say that in quotes, gurus, because they don't announce they're gurus, Uh, but they come into the world, they leave something that's good and then they leave early usually. Um, But there's a lot of oneness uh, energy happening right now. So that book is important and we hope to have it up by the end of the month. 
And then I've just published Regenesis, that's also coming out at the end of the month, uh, which is part of a trilogy that I wrote when I was, well, actually, I dreamed it all night long with spirit in my head uh, when I was 25, but I didn't actually write it until I was 35. And uh, I was about to publish that at that time in England and ready to sign the dotted line with a contract as it was done in those days. And my spirit guide said, no, you can't sign that. It's a trilogy. <laughs> so it ended up being a screenplay as well. And I've got several producers and directors once again interested. Uh, back in the 90s, they were going to make this, the movie and uh, with the cost of everything, the depression that came in because of the earthquakes and different things that happened, it got put back and then got lost. So we're rebirthing it. So those are my two little projects that I'm really you know, pleased to be working on. And the other thing is I'm going to be teaching on Zoom next month. Um, what we're calling it is easypeasysolutions.org. And uh, the first six uh, shows are on relationships. I call them shows, but not really, they're like classes to me. And uh, we'll be doing an hour and a half and I'll have one hour of me talking also with my producer who will be on with me sometimes. And uh, then we'll have Q&A and that'll be free for the first six weeks. And we're talking about all different kinds of relationships from, you know, engagements through family to uh, business work colleagues to social colleagues and friends and so on. You know, it's a lot of relationships we all have. And uh, the interesting thing is that we have probably hundreds of thousands of contacts throughout our life before we die. And every one of those gives us input into our RNA and that's from our ancestry. And uh, that book, I'm really interested to get out. It is published. It's called Donald Trump, The Enigma of Society. And the reason it was called that was because Spirit gave me that name. And it's not about Donald and uh, being a president and all his ladies' personalities. It's about his ancestors and how they set the pathway leading towards his arrival, his birth, and ultimately to be who he is now. And as we all know, he's just turned our perceptions of the way America is upside down and is influencing the world in many ways. It's not to say whether it's right or wrong. I'm not politically minded. It's just saying that some people come down and do this kind of thing so that we all change. So he's where he's supposed to be. So it's going to be interesting to see what this election does. I have no idea if he'll get in or out. They didn't tell me. So those are the th yeah, those are the things that I'm stuck with now, but I'm open to anything you want to ask throughout my life or the things I've done. Well, um, there's a lot I want to ask, but could you just maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? Because none of my listeners really have any knowledge of your background. This is probably their first introduction to your work. Okay, thank you. Um, I was born in England uh, in 1942 on Midsummer's Day, which apparently was very appropriate, so people tell me. Um, and um, as they were cutting my cord, um, a bomb blew out across the road, a V1 bomb, killing many, many people in complexes of apartments. And uh, then um, 
after you know the hospital had done with the crisis they heard i'd been born they came and held me some nurses did and they went from shaking and trembling to complete serenity so my mother said and then by the time i was five my father had come back from the war and uh, they used to have reunions and i would be taken because my mother being a cripple couldn't go and uh, during that time, also she was pregnant uh, with my sister, so uh, I got to go and I used to run and play and they'd pick me up and put me on their laps and I'd suddenly get really hot and I'd see their dark colors like dark blue, dark green, dark brown, these kinds of things. And as I'd sit there, I'd get so hot and then their auras would become pearlesque and then I knew I could get down and run and play and hardly run and play much someone else would pick me up so <laughs> by the time I was uh, about you know it's hard to remember exactly but I think I was either seven or eight but I think I put in my book uh, seven uh, I had to stand on the dais with the generals and brigadiers and all these kind of people as well as my dad well uh, the whole uh, battalion marched past saluting me for my work and uh, <laughs> there was a party that followed and they presented me with uh, rosettes and things on the dais. But at the party, they gave me a nurse's outfit. And that was a catalyst. I just knew I was going to be a nurse. And I became a nurse. When I was 16, I did my you know, weekends. I was getting many years, 16 to 18, 19. I was in a very good school, so I had all my biology, anatomy, physiology, all that stuff, even before I got to a nursing school. And that was done in hospitals in England, not universities as they are today. Uh, and I stayed in that for a while. And then I went into a marriage and I went into psychology and psychiatry. Uh, I was dealing with people who were possessed in mental institutions. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, there was a. It was a very ancient building. It was built in the 17, 1800s, and uh, you know it was a very depressing place. And the corridors were really wide. And I, as I'd walk down those corridors, I'd see spirits that were earthbound spirits. Those are people who killed themselves, died in the war, um, had cancer or something, and still looking for loved ones or something. And I'd walk down and I'd see them all and, um, you know, try and uplift them as much as I could with the oneness around me and did do quite a bit, but not all that I would love to have done. Uh, but I'll give you a little story. There was uh, my husband, uh, three strapping men and one other, were, so there were five men on this male ward. And I was down there attending to one of the patients and there was a little man uh, sitting in this very high-backed chair. And I, I suddenly felt pulled to watch him. And he went into a trance state. And I could see this Native American over him with a complete headdress. And then oh. he sort of sat, he sat up, he opened his eyes, because he'd been sleeping. And he just had a tomahawk in one hand. And he just got up and charged down this 30-bed uh, ward, um, which is how they had it in those days, for these four men that were standing chatting um, and knocked them all flying like skittles. And uh, my husband of that time had to give an injection to put him sedated because he was wired. 
that led to me sitting on the counseling sessions and I used to be able to tell uh, you know the doctors what I was seeing with them and I would tell them what they were going to say before they actually said it and at first they were like oh you know we don't know about that stuff but uh, as proof of the pudding came uh, session after session I became very uh, you know productive for them in helping them understand that not everyone is mentally insane uh, and another thing over the years, I might add, is schizophrenia and all those kind of paranoid were just the ways that they judged people, whereas today we mm -hmm. know a great deal more. Yeah. So that was that. And then um, I became a spiritualist medium honored by the Association of Great Britain for that, um, Spiritualist Association, um, and uh, was made uh, an honorary member. Unfortunately, they got drowned out one day with a flood, and so they lost the records of that. But um, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just one of the things I passed through. And I was traveling all over England, and, and in those days, doing a ra being on a radio show was very unusual about metaphysical things. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a good door opener for me into being in the public eye that way. And then um, from there, I traveled to Europe and taught over there. And then from there, I went to America, uh, came over with the British in 82. And we did the first mind, body and spirit, it was all the British team. And I was the keynote speaker, not all of them, but one of them. <laughs> and uh, I had to do a demonstration of clairvoyance. And I started to do it British style and, uh, oh. you know, yeah, you know, in British style, they just sit there, look, 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 please come to me. I hope you'll come to me, look, you know. <laughs> Whereas the Americans, uh, you know, after a couple of messages, put all their hands up and I did by um, probably 10 deep on four sides and I was all these. And uh, <laughs> so I stopped and I asked someone, um, you know, what, you got a question and they asked a question which was would I move or something I thought they were going to ask me how do I do this you know mm -hmm. so uh, spirit guide said to me tell them to keep their hands up and we'll just give the answers so that's what I did so the answer to your question is no you're you're not ready you have to get your finances in order the answer to you is you can get a new car but not yet you know whatever it was something like that very simple stuff after that was done, I was followed back to my booth and, and uh, everyone came. <laughs> and so I was very, very busy. And um, from there, I got invited to go to a health fair down in Long Beach. And uh, that's where I met my husband, my second husband, Stephen Van Koops, which is where I have my name from. And he was doing paranormal photography. And we did a lot of study and research on that. Uh, and proved that spirit were, we used Polaroid in those days because that was the mm -hmm. thing. Uh, this is back in 82. And uh, we, we proved a lot of amazing things in the photographs that came out. For example, my husband came to me with one of them. There was a doorpost. You could see the edge of a toilet. And then there's the woman's face, in, you know, because I took a picture of her as well. And he said, what's this mean? And I said, oh, uh, immediately I knew, you know, I said, uh, she sits in the toilet room because that's the only place she can be peaceful and do meditation. And he went and told her and she oh. screeched and said, oh my God, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, people weren't used to that accuracy in those days. 
Well, anyway, it led me to doing many of the events that were evolving, and I was always speaking at them, you know. And then from mm-hmm. there, I moved over to Japan and was teaching there for over 28 years. And I have trained a lot of metaphysiotherapists and a couple of、um, minister practitioners and, and a lot of crystal acupuncture and tarot therapy, my different therapies I've created. So、mm-hmm. a lot happened in Japan for me. And、uh, during that time, my husband had a heart attack,、uh, and they told him that、uh, he only had months to live. Uh, the battery's heart was dead,、uh, and、uh, he'd had many, many multi-strokes. Apparently,、uh, sorry,、mm-hmm. not strokes,、uh, heart attacks, and gave him 15 years, and made it possible for him to have a triple bypass. Unfortunately, he chose allopathic, and I couldn't believe it. You know, I had all the natural formulas and things to put him on to make him 100% healthy, and as a result, I had it intermingle. What I knew with what he was taking, and I managed to give him 15 years more. And、wow. he passed. He passed last December,、uh, and、uh, he knew he was going. He said、uh, that it was time, and that's what people do when they're aware as well. And he was also,、uh, you know, because he'd worked with me under me and so on. He was also given his doctorate as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to add. I'm sorry, I'm hogging this, but you asked me about my life. I'm just fast-forwarding very quickly. Oh yeah, it's fascinating.、Uh, um, I, to, in order to become a professor, I didn't expect it. I never expected anything in my life, but I was doing. And、uh, there was someone with a booth from UCLA, and they were pronouncing that they had、uh, professors who could give people their doctorates、um, because、um, they wanted to explore. I was fully sort of the sort of person they were looking for, so I applied. And the short version of that story, in a nutshell, is they couldn't find a professor to、uh, do any exams for me, and so they、uh, took my books. I had about eight then, or and came back with, "We are going to give you two PhDs, and we're going to do it through California University, a wing of UCLA." You're highly、and、educated. So, <laughs> yes. To the extreme, and then、uh, they came back a couple of months later and asked me if I wanted my professorship, and I really didn't feel I deserved that, so I turned it down. And、uh, finally, when I did need it,、uh, because I was now teaching more advanced students、um, who were very serious, I called them back up and I said,、uh, you know, was that still on on the table? And they came back with absolutely. You've got 50 years of teaching, so I became a professor. But I I, I like to be called Dr. Margaret, and、uh, I've basically been back in England.、Uh, you know, England. I lost my father. I lost my mother.、Uh, so I was going over to England and still keeping up my traditions of helping people.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, then. You know, my husband went down, so、uh, I had to take care of him. So the last four years, I've kind of been、uh, more centered in where I live in Arizona and helping local people with、uh, their abuse issues. 
because you know I'm also trained in that as well, alcohol yeah. and all the rest of it, you know. So, and of course, teaching, and I have my radio show, Journey into an Unknown World, and I've just um, recently. Yes, I've been listening to uh, that. It's really good. It. Have you? Thank yeah. you. I, I did half an hour for years since I think 2010, 11, something like that to a month but after the the owner by the way he had md and uh, he pleaded with me to do the show and uh, i also was able to help him and oh here's a lovely little story i think people should hear this uh you know you can't walk or do anything and hospitals cut your ligaments and do all sorts of horrible things which unfortunately i can't undo uh and so um you know i was able to counsel him and tell his massage therapist what the crystals and so on. And it gave him a little longer life than was expected. But one of the things Spirit told me about him, they said, you are going to walk. It didn't make sense. Well, one day he went to the hospital and out of the blue, with no one telling him, they put him in an exosuit and he walked around the hospital. <laughs> and he called me up and he said, that was the most amazing present that one has given him. And, uh, you know, about two months later, it was his time to pass. It was his last adventure that they gave him. I thought that was so sweet of the oneness to give him that treat. Dear listener, have you ever had a paranormal experience? A spiritual or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO or something that you could not explain? Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time, and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Meanwhile, I've, I've worked, I had Parkinson's disease, uh, so if anyone's listening has got it, and it manifests if you are mentally, emotionally, physically negative. And I have to admit, at the time of it manifesting, I was. I was in a very bad marriage with alcoholic, gambler, blah, 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 second marriage, and uh, had four children between the two marriages. So, and they were all wayward. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, and with my 
following and all the people and all the things I was doing, I was just overwhelmed and I was getting worse and worse. And my, um, he's a doctor, you know, gave me these super pills, he said, that would help me. And I never took them until I was shaking and trembling all over. And uh, apparently um, they were heroin derivative. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't know that my shakes would ease off and then I'd become this insane person and depressed and whatever. <laughs> and then one day, I won't go into the whole story, it's in my book, but uh, I just it was out of it and was dying. And my uh, red cloud, who's been with me since I was seven, who I didn't know anything about him over here at that time, came into my body, picked me up, took, took me to the phone Dialed a number I did not know where my ex was with his girlfriend that I did not know and told him to come home and save me, which they did. Wow. <laughs> so after I, and after I um, got better, you know, then I was different. And that was when I wrote The Way to Oneness, which is now Journey into an Unknown World, The Way what to is Oneness. What is this revisited. red cloud that, that you were just yes. talking about? What yes. is that? I'm I'm intrigued. I, on the Trail of Tears. Yeah, he was the one that led the people on the Trail of Tears. Is it's he in history guides? Oh, I know the yes. Trail of Tears. I'm very good with history. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was. He came to me when I was seven. I was in um, a um, meteorite area where there was a big bowl, you know, like we have here in in states, but. Um, this was in England, and I was standing at the top, and he was suddenly there with me, and he said, okay, we're going to learn the gate of power. And he came into my body, and uh, I went down that thing sideways as fast as an animal. That's uh, fascinating. And got to the bottom, yes. And then I sat down there, and then he had me roll in a ball and teach me self-protection from the dark side and anything else and how to close my chakras and all that kind of thing. So is he like your spirit guide? Oh, he's one of thousands. One of thousands. <laughs> we that's, are that's not fascinating. You know, people ask that all the time. They say, what's my spirit guide? And I say, well, which one do you want? Um, <laughs> because we are fragments of the oneness and we are collective with a soul group. And soul groups fest in embodiment sometimes all at the time and they congregate together like now and they go on waltz and and tell everybody we want change that's what they're doing right now as a whole group of people and they're bond together on a common cause of transition change in other words in this world mm -hmm. um, but as mediums if you're advanced and really trained you can channel anyone earthbounds lost souls aliens um you know because we're all part of the same universal consciousness of oneness the universal mm. mind the the oneness yeah mm. you know basically i don't uh brag too much about who i am spiritually a lot of people will come to me and say um that they have in egypt <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people in the cleopatra movie business type period um came to me and said i was cleopatra in a past life <laughs> Because I saw, <laughs> you know, a wing or something in my meditation that was Egyptian, you know, and I'd say, no, no, you're just being told that you've lived during that time, but you're not clear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
But um, when a real past life, they take you into trance, they take you back in time and you relive it. You see it all. You're either in the body back in that time or you're observing that body walking around doing whatever you're doing. And I've said in my book, uh, which was very, very difficult for me to write because um, of who I was, um, and I'm going to say it because it's in the book, I was Peter the Apostle. I can remember, for example, sitting on the shores of the Galilee and Jesus and I and John, who was fiddling around with the women who were doing the washing down on, on the shores of the Galilee. Um, and. You know, we were throwing pebbles and, and talking and chatting, and he was telling me how, uh, you know, he's always afraid that his anger, because he had a lot of anger, uh, would override the passive, peaceful part of himself at a later time, especially. And I'm saying, what are you talking about a later time? <laughs> These are the kinds of things that they took me back and saw and is I, it true that he yeah. didn't give all of his teachings to everybody and he mostly like picked a few to give like the secret teachings to it That's wasn't the way they say actually um the 12 of us were trained by him and uh, john uh, was also he had his 12 as well john the baptist mm -hmm. we would meet up and we would uh, discuss different areas that we were going to go to and uh, then when we get there, we'd oversee uh, groups of people that were talking and chatting what we felt we needed to tell them. Uh, and then they would go and gather more people. Uh, an old-fashioned way of doing what we do today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and um, you know, we all knew that we, we could die any time. And then we had the Romans. They would march into... Uh, you know, a little village and, and take the kids, you know, when we say kids, 12-year-olds considered a man over there then in those days, and uh, make them join the, their the their armies. Yeah, because they, they were short on people because they were so busy conquering and losing a lot during that time. Uh, it was very uh, political, just like it is now. We're repeating history, you know. Oh, yeah, everything's just, just cycles. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So anyway, I don't spend too much on on that life, but you know, <laughs> it's the core. It's the core of what turned me into the higher consciousness. When they did that, they knew what they were doing. They were awakening me to my journey now, and I've been on that journey, you know, immensely. And I'm evolving all the time, and I love it. I I really do, and I love to share whatever I know, and I try and do as much as I can for free. Um, obviously, we all have to make a living. Yep. Um, so, but when I do easypeasysolutions.org, I'm only going to charge 35 a class, and it will never go up. And if they want to stick with me, there'll be a big... Because I'm not about making that money. I'm about being able to pay my producers and directors and people like that. <laughs> yeah, you got to get by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. So that's it in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> so have you channeled any aliens? You said that you had interactions with aliens. Can you talk about that for a little yeah. while? Well, um, the very first one I did in public was actually down in Venice uh, in California. 
uh, and it's a group that used to meet back in those days. And I would do public channelings because in those days, trance work, by that I mean, I mean trance, okay? Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, or I, I'm out of my body and I'm a blob in the ceiling listening. Wait, so you're like astral thing. projecting? Is yeah, it the same I, thing? No, it's I literally, my spirit comes out of my body and I vacate it to let whoever wants to speak through me use my body. Oh. Yeah, uh, and so they... They can use my body. They'll open their eyes and they'll have body language that's theirs and they'll ha- they'll change my voice tone. If they have accents, they'll use them. You hear them speaking with accents. Well, anyway, this first one that came through me um, was uh, I'd, I'd been connected with him before in my, med- my negative RNA, but I didn't know who he was. And then here I am in public, you know, years later, uh, about 10 years later, he's speaking like a cold machine. I'm up listening in the room and I'm thinking, these people are going to think I'm, you know, I'm doing this. <laughs> but it was like, you know, sort of tone like that. I mean, I don't huh. know what he was saying. Can't what remember. kind of alien was it? Um, well, I asked afterwards and uh, I got that he was from a planet that nobody knew. So there was no point in. Um, me saying it, but he called it, uh, if I remember right, because it's so long ago and he's never come back. Um, but what I got from him was he was uh, from a planet behind the Sirius complex that we can't see. Oh, yeah. And I asked why, and he said, The world has to understand that the logic is without emotions and that that is the wrong way to think you have to think emotions in order to have intelligence so i i was like well, where's your intelligence this is my conversation that mm-hmm. night with him uh, coming from and he just said the collective and then he left me <laughs> well most people are I, unaware of like the flaws of logic and that it can be very subjective so that's that's a good point. Like when it comes down to it, your gut instinct and intuition, like they're pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, I watch people do this all the time when they come to me and they say, I have a feeling I should move. And I say, okay, fine. Oh, but where, when, how, what for? And I say, well, just wait, because they will bring you the signs bit by bit. Uh, and I've seen many a person come to me and say, oh, someone's just offered me, oh, really? You want to go? Well, I'm not sure. I got this and I got that and I have this and my auntie and my uncle and Tom, Dick and Harry are caring about it and so on. <laughs> well, okay, go home and just tell them what the job's about and just see what happens. And then they come back again. Oh, I solved all the problems, but now where where should I live? You know, what, what town am I supposed to be? <laughs> it's like I know that... I don't think, you know. It's like they should but just I do it. They just do it. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then eventually they get all those thoughts, you see, get dashed away by people coming into their lives or situations blocking something until it becomes clear the time is now. Yeah. You see? And then uh, it all comes together. It, it just falls in place. Absolutely. I've, I've lived my life that way. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Stuff just all falls into place for me quite easily. Mm. Especially now. 
you know, for those of us who are aware, we're getting a lot of things coming together. How about uh, Ascended Masters? Have you had any interaction with Ascended Masters? And if you have, could you give us an example of such an encounter? Well, let's say, first of all, that what we call Ascended Masters, most people don't even understand. An Ascended Master in earthly consciousness is someone that is connected to the oneness. But they don't understand, they haven't got the training, the background of how every fragment is, in fact, in harmony with every other fragment in creation. So when you are in contact with an ascended master, you have to realize that the law, this uh, five laws of karma, I'm talking about the fourth one here, like attracts like in the mirror image. And it doesn't matter whether it's in opposition or support, the whole thing is about understanding unity, and I'm explaining it fully, uh, so that when two people come together who are a mirror image, you're going to have to acknowledge if you're talking to an ascended master, there's some part of you that is an ascended master, even if you don't know it yet. Oh. See what I'm saying? And so, um, you know, for years, I had many people coming and going, talking through me. And and we didn't have that consciousness back in those days anyway of ascended masters. It was just great spirits or the brotherhood or something, you know. Because yeah. people make up people make up what they want to make up that seems to sound good at the time. And, uh, you know, so when I say ascended masters, for example, uh, Master Chang who came to me when I got Parkinson's and taught me the crystal acupuncture, which stopped me shaking within um, oh, three weeks. But then what followed was the psychology and psychiatry of dumping the RNA, and that took me 20 years to oh. dump it up. Yeah, uh, because we're conditioned to believe uh, all these things that people tell us when we're babies. We don't know oh, any yeah. difference. And that has a huge yeah. effect on our subconscious so, so you know, when you get to the point where you are aware enough to ask who this person is, they'll tell you. They'll reveal who they are. Um, Master Chang, uh, over time, took me back to his different lives. And he, he was actually the one that was most important. His name he was, was the Abra. most important? At that time, yeah. He was the father of the Israeli tribe. No. Oh. So, so um, you know, but he's also other people. You know, he, he's been in many different forms, just like we have at different times, comes down as a sage, if we want to use that word, does his whatever he has to do to make the changes in the world and then leaves. And, uh, you know, so we have a lot of... Um, great spiritual people that are mentioned say in the old testament but we and we honor them you know but we don't really know much about them because the bible doesn't say well you know he, he used to um do this and do that now right abraham let me just tell you the story of abraham and his son isaiah uh, what happened was uh he hadn't heard the voice of God, so he thought, which means another spirit, uh, for ages. And so he decided that God had forgotten him and earned that being forgotten by doing something wrong. And he'd done everything he could do. He'd done, uh, killed the lamb and offered that, you know, prior weeks and, and so on, does all the things mm -hmm. that they did. 
and still no voice. So he thinks the only thing I can give to God is the most valuable thing I have, and the most valuable thing I have is my son. So here is this young boy being told to collect some, you know, woodwork stuff to, for burning, and bundle it up and take a, a snack sandwich, you know, like we would today, kind of thing, and whatever they ate, and off they go up the mountain. And all the way up, he's solemn and he's quiet and he's thinking, you know, God, I hope God's looking. This is so hard for me to kill my son as a sacrifice and all this stuff. And the boy is all the way up saying, Dad, what are we going to do up here? You know, what's all this about? What are you looking for? You know, why why are we going to make a, a offering up in the mountain? We usually do it, in, you know, down on the ground and with the people and so on, you know. So... Um, we get up to where it is, and he t then tells his son that he's sorry, but he has to offer him to God because God hasn't spoken to him. And his son says, but how do you know that it's that reason, and why do I have to die so God will speak to you? And all that kind of conversation, you see. And anyway, the son in those days, the son does what the father wants him to do. So he actually lays down. He got on the stone rock. He was a rock stone uh, and uh, lay down, willing to let his dad kill him. And at that, and tears are running down his face. He doesn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, hears the voice of God telling him no. And the Bible says around came a sheep. It wasn't. They were goats. <laughs> Those goat sheep type. Anyway, whatever I saw is what he showed me. Uh, wild goats, you know, and so, and one just walked up to him like, here am I, and so he picked it up and killed it, and gave that sacrifice instead of his son. Wow. Now, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it's different in the Bible. Uh, and he said to me, I was insane. And yet people think that's a great spiritual moment, but it was a lesson for him that you cannot control God, that you cannot ask God to do exactly what you want. And were in his mind to understand that the way he was thinking was wrong and that he had to think differently. And as you know, he had another son by uh, another woman and I won't go into all her names. And he sent them forward because he was told to send them forward. and. The seeds of those children gave birth to the many nations, you know, and, and the contradiction between uh, the tribes, mm -hmm. you know, that they have in the Middle East, that's so ancient. It goes back before him even. Oh, yeah. They, the, the Hebrews were latecomers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, their turmoil in the Middle East is all happened in the Piscean age for us to now understand we don't need all this turmoil we need unity we need to listen as I said in my last uh, you know show I did um, that we we need to understand that our point of view is not the way it's a way yeah and there are and there are many ways that can entwine like a braid if we just stop saying my particular strand is better than your strand all truths you know? are half truths yeah unity comes with entwinement and uh, 
we have to be open-minded to letting go of those RNA ideas that someone told us eons of life ago, as it were. Because, yeah. I mean, how many of us can really remember every conversation, everything we've ever done with everyone? We can't. Nobody can remember yet, that. Right. Yet our emotions, they're in there reminding us when someone presses a button. Up comes, yep. oh, you know, and your then subconscious, we know. it remembers everything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that's kind of the the work that many of the uh, spiritualists are down now doing, you know, on earth in different countries, are trying their very best to help people understand that there is a balance, as in the Buddhic way, between the light and the dark, and you do rope of the middle road as it were uh, and use the dark I mean you know when a child breaks yeah. something you put on your ugly face don't you and you seem to be the monster and the baby cries but hey it learns uh, and then the yeah, next thing totally. you know five ten minutes later you say well you won't do it again will you let's have a hug and then they learn just at that very young age that um, there's light and dark in the same moment yeah, and you have to integrate your dark side. You can't shun it. You have to make it a part of you. Yeah. The dark side, actually, as I wrote in that book, is very much the um, understanding of the lessons that we've gone through where we've refused to learn and then we're forced to learn. Whereas the light side, it's day skipping into abandonment. And that can be mm -hmm. easily forgotten. So we need the dark to remind us that the light is there and the light reminds us that the dark is there. And one does not exist without the other. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's just so many different topics that one could talk about, i.e. hypnosis. Have you gotten into hypnosis? Um, I do. I have a bunch of books on hypnosis. I got to say, I've only read one of them, and it's on NLP. Uh-huh. So I got, I got yeah. the stuff. I just am not. I've been so busy, I haven't read it. <laughs> I read. So I know a little bit about it. I, I see you breaking up a little bit. I hope it's okay, oh, okay. On, my, on my headset. Um, so, yeah, with hi hypnosis, um, I was, I don't know, I was about 12 or 13, and my dad had a pendulum. And, and my, my grandpa had um, taught me dowsing when I was seven. He was a very famous dowser in India and England, and he founded the dowsing association of great britain which still runs today uh and uh his father-in-law taught him the dowsing 
Uh, and apparently, so my great father's great great grandfather or something like that, they were dowsers. And uh, people didn't really know much about it in those days. It was considered a gift. But my grandfather made it a reality in that it was something that people could do. So he took me out on a field and um, he knew what was under the ground and he told me find water. This little uh, dowsing rod that he'd made out of my grandma's um, knitting needles that was steel in those days. She used to make socks. Oh, the uh, steel? Normally I've only seen yeah. dowsing rods as, as wood. No, these, he, these were, you know, he's just got told in his mind to grab her knitting needles and he ripped them out. She had all the stitches on them and everything and he ripped them out. And I still have them. And, uh, you know, he them and was out there in this field, not knowing anything, but holding them, the, the little rod thing the way he told me and it's point up. And then as I was walking forward, my hands are just rest, these two little arms are resting in my hands. I'm not gripping it. It's just literally resting across my thumbs in, in my closed fist. I'm walking across this field and all of a sudden this thing flips over and points down. And I'm surprised. Uh -huh. And he said, there, that's where the water is. He said, where can you see it? I said, no. <laughs> and then he said, um, well, the reason you can't see it, pipe. <laughs> you found a water pipe. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said to me, okay, I want you to walk over there. And he sent me in a direction said, I want you to find any kind of stones. Well, I didn't know what you meant by stones because I'm looking at a field. There's all stones everywhere. And I look, right. just think stones. <laughs> so, so, so I'm wondering off, you know, seven, eight-year-old me um, trying to find stones because I'm already into stones. I've been into stones since I was uh, walking around with a sand. Uh, pale on the seaside shore, you know, filling them up with stones. Uh, and uh, to me, I could always see their energy and they look like pearly, uh, sweet, colored things that I wanted to take home. I remember trying to suck one at one time, wondering why it didn't taste like candy, because it looked like candy. <laughs> but when I took it out of my mouth, it was just a gray piece of stone, you know. So my eyes, my third eye was very much seeing um, you know, the energy of stones. So when he said, walk around, I'm I'm thinking I'm supposed to see something. And so anyway, I walk around with the stones and looking for stones because I'm thinking it must be one special stone. And I get to a point where it goes down again. And uh, so he, he says to me, what do you think's here? And I just obviously, I said, stone. He said, it's a stone wall. I said, a stone wall? Yeah, you because know, you couldn't see one on the ground. He said, no, it's buried. Wow. <laughs> uh, and so apparently he knew what was on that field before it was turned over. And, they, you know, England used to have a lot of stone walls uh, oh, separating yeah. fields, you know. So he knew where that was. And they just covered it over and destroy it, you know. Uh, there were other things he made me do, but that was the day I learned dowsing manually and then uh, about three or four years later he taught me how to douse a mat with a pendulum and uh, I 
was able to find gold mines that they knew existed, you know, because he knew where they oh, were. Wow. So, That's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah. And someone asked me to douse uh, earthquakes here in California. And uh, I kept trying to find something in the Pacific because I'm in California. Well, I did find a small one, and we did have that one, as you know, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and I did tell about that one, but it didn't happen right then. It took a while for that to manifest. Um, but it shook everybody up. And, and funny thing was, I was right in the epicenter when it happened. <laughs> and uh, the house that I was in, everything fell out of the cupboards and everything. Uh, and um, my son got locked in his room because his shelves fell in front of the door with all his oh, that's scary. books and things. Yeah, but the thing was, we were on the emergency electric system so we we never went without anything either in my house which is amazing but only a mile and a half up the road the buildings collapsed onto some people and killed them that's how close i was uh, and um you know that was the earthquake that i doused and knew was going to happen the same as i doused and i saw part of laguna beach flowing down into the ocean and, and I saw this water rushing down across it. Uh, so coming further to, I kept being drawn to go over to the Atlantic. So in the end, I gave way to it. And this is going to blow your mind, but it blew my mind. Uh, when I found the epicenter of an earthquake in the Atlantic, it's deep, deep down below, 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 only thousands, thousands of feet. There is a volcano eruption that will happen. And when I was counting as to how magnitude will be, I got up to 13.2. Yeah, it's going to destroy everything. Absolutely. I'm praying <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. And I'm praying I'm wrong. And I just got on the it's other gonna, wrong no, side. It's, of... it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so deep. But there are volcanoes down there. Because once oh, yeah, upon of a course. time... Yeah, you know, with the, when the uh, pole shifted over 10,000 years ago. Yeah, the cataclysm. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, if this happens, and if I'm right, um, it'll flood the place. Waves will come in everywhere. We've done this before, though. I think we, we're a little bit more ready. Well, you know, I don't think you're ever ready when, you know, like the fires that you've got in California right now, um, you're yeah, not ready true. for that. <laughs> that's very you know, true. Disaster yeah. is disaster. And if it's your time, it's your time. The one good thing to know about dying is that you are not afraid when you're dying. Yeah, I'm not it, worried it, about it. Yeah, it's just an acceptance. It's my time. You go into a lull. You go into the darkness. Your last breath, you don't know you're having it. And then you just float out of your body like I do when I'm doing trance work and you're free and then you your family or whoever's come for you spirit guide you know by the way the spirit guides are, of many are very busy right now saving all those that are dying through national disasters yeah I'm um, sure they are yeah mm -hmm. so and people like me do do a lot of remote healing and helping in that way I often wake up 
in the morning and I'm tired because I know I've been working all night. I might have the odd glimpse or something of what I've been yeah, doing. Yeah, my, my dreams have been crazy for like six months. Yeah, what kind of things did you dream? Just like all kinds of weird stuff. Like it's usually symbolic. You know, it's because it's subconscious, just communication. It's just weird things that I don't ever think about or bizarre situations that would never happen, but they're very lucid. So it's, it's just mm -hmm. incredibly bizarre. I have an app on my phone that like I keep track of them with and I like uh, document my dreams when I wake up. Mm -hmm. So I, I can never... help you with that. Sure. Um, because yeah, one, one symbol, for example, if you saw a flower and it's open and it's got stamens, for example, to your conscious mind, it's just a flower it is, the environment it grows, where it comes from are all clues. The shape of the flower is symmetrical. All flowers have symmetrical forms. So it's telling you something has to be put into organized structure, okay? Mm -hmm. The color of it I mean, it means something. If it's yellow, then it means that you're thinking too much about how to do it rather than, you know, doing it. Um, uh, yellow is the conflict between I can and I can't in many ways. Um, I have to admit, I hate wearing a lot of yellow. My mother yellow <laughs> dress when I was about 10 and I hated it. Um, but, you know, a lot of people like yellow because they do go backwards. I love yellow. You do? So you're doing a lot of, well, what's this? What's that? Could be this, could be that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's an investigation color, basically, of the mind. Um, yeah. And, and whereas and gold I'm a Scorpio is too, the color so. of the spirit. Sorry? And I'm a Scorpio, too, so I'm, like, all about just investigating and analyzing everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would follow. But it's also a water sign, so you've got to have an emotion attached to it. And so, you know, coming back to my example of the flower, you know, in yellow, that takes you into uh, an understanding you need to go higher past your mind into the gold which gives you the spiritual wisdom uh you're talking about it's, alchemy now people are always trying to transform away from it rather than to embrace it as we said earlier yeah, on totally mm. well and you can't escape yourself <laughs> <laughs> you know and that's that's what people are trying to do. It's like, okay, I've got to do this and I've got to do that so I can get out of body. And then I've got to do this and I've got to do that so I manifest all these things I want. You know, no. I feel like I like have that. to put that's... myself together. I feel like I'm putting together a puzzle piece that's been broken apart. Hmm. That would be right in a sense. I can tell you that when I clinically died, before that happened, I felt like I was a trillion pieces. I wasn't, you know, like every cell in my body was somewhere else. I wasn't me. I wasn't condensed. And uh, after I came back, I felt unified. Everything had come together. And not only had it come together, but I had transformed myself into a new consciousness where I mm. was aware of the divine aspects, whereas before I was all out there helping every Tom, Dick and Harry I could find and putting me last, that whole thing flipped over to I am that I am. I must master me first before I help others. So yeah. I, I, you know, we have to do that. 
Oh, absolutely. Clean up, clean up your own yard before you go and point pe other people's yards, telling them to clean theirs up. <laughs> we gotta take care of ourselves first before we can change anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, coming back on hypnosis, we we go in and out of hypnosis uh, probably every 15 to 20 minutes. And we need that because if we don't, our brain would become insane. Yeah. And, and people who are, um, you know, unable to stop thinking about their issues and problems, they become insane like I did. <laughs> so I saw Happens myself. to anyone. Yeah. Um, so I always say to people, if you're driving, for example, down the road and, you know, you suddenly go off and you're thinking, I need to do the washing and pick up the kids and do this and that, you're visualizing the machine, you're visualizing uh, the kids coming out of the schoolyard, you know, whatever it is, you're not seeing the car in front of you. And yet the minute those brakes go on, those lights hit you, you're back, you see it. But without those divergent uh, images to go into what you need to do, the brain doesn't get a rest. So yeah. it's important that we do go off on the sidebar and look at something else. That's the way the brain rests. And a lot of people say to me, I can't stop thinking. And I have a very simple uh, way of teaching, which is you sit on your hands, you look at something on the wall and you try and empty your mind and the minute you s s find yourself thinking oh um how long i've been sitting here you say out loud i have drifted and you do it for as long as you can in the beginning usually people last five minutes ten minutes and i've had enough because i've said i've drifted so many times but what happens is the conscious mind hears that and the conscious mind does not like to fail yeah. So when you've done this little exercise 21 times, you will be able to sit and gaze at something and not think about something else. That will give you a rest. Now I then tell the students, close your eyes. Now the reason they're sitting on their hands is because I don't want them to scratch and, and itch. But I do let them try that sometimes. And of course, they soon fidget. And again, you have to say out loud, I drifted. Because the brain, if it can't talk, will fidget. And then when you do it with your eyes shut, your brain says, oh, different scenario. I can talk away now and I can fidget all I want. So you do the same thing with your eyes shut. And you say it out loud, I drifted. And given next number of times of practicing it, your brain will stay quiet while you've got your eyes shut. It's an now interesting meditation technique.
now you have to let your hands be free. So what's going to happen? You're sitting there, your body starts to ache, your hands want to rub your body because you're sitting and you mustn't move. I drift it. Every time you fidget, I drift it. So you're mastering the body, you're mastering the mind, you're mastering the emotions, you're mastering the body. And when you can finally sit there for half an hour and not move at all, you will have had images by them from your spirit guides. Yeah. Oh. So I hope everybody listening will practice it. <laughs> right? That's some good techniques. What other uh, meditation techniques do you use? Because I actually meditate every single day. Oh, you're a good boy. <laughs> I I've do done it, it for every seven night. years. Yeah. yeah, seven years every day. That's good. What What do you get? Do you get a connection? Yeah, I, I mostly just go really deep and kind of just into the void. I get advice from my subconscious, but I also switch around and I do a lot of visualization, a lot of visualization. I like to visualize geometric shapes. Mm-hmm. But Such do you hear any? Do you hear any spirit guides? Do you? Um, no, you see, I've never been contacted like that. You're connect. You're, you're What you're doing is controlling your meditation, and the one thing you can't do in meditation is control it. So thinking shapes is all. It's like another way of you saying, "I drifted out loud ahead," which means you can't get outside of it. That's true. So you might want to try what I've just told you because ultimately. The conscious mind will manipulate the body. It'll give you an itch. It'll, you know, whatever it wants to do. And if you put yourself into your subconscious where you're going to see images, i.e. you're making images because you're designing those images and your sacred geometry is part of the universal consciousness, but actually the basic triangle is the ultimate shape that yeah, is the it prime is. control of everything. Absolutely. And I can give you where you visualize the triangle, you see yourself in one corner at the bottom. It doesn't really matter which side you want to be. It could be left or right because left or right. And then on the other side, you see the thing you want an answer to. Let's make it silly for a moment. Should I eat apples? So you put <laughs> an apple in, the, in that bottom corner. And at the top, you visualize the apex as the... Um, energy of the oneness, God, whatever you want to call it, spirit guides, coming down towards you and you are going up with your apple. They're all joining in the crown point, the power point of the triangle. And there you will um, receive some kind of message, some kind of feeling uh, that you'll know is not your brain working it out. Oh, I am going to try that. So I, I was talking about hypnosis. Um, when I'm working with someone with crystal acupuncture, um, which is a five-sided point um, that I have made in certain stones for me, and I used to get a lot of them from China, but now that's sort of not happening very much. But yeah. um, people, but people can buy the points these days. When I started doing this, I was using shards because I couldn't even find points. They didn't even have quartz watches. That's you know going back a long way. Oh wow! First, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm going to give an example of uh, a young man that was brought to me. Um, he had 
um, MD again, another case of that. Uh, and uh, he was in a wheelchair, but I could see that his youth was still there and his vitality was there. And this is in the early days when Master Chang was training me in all the techniques and things like that. Mm -hmm. And he said, we're, we're going to work on the right and so he, his mother was bringing him to me. He could stand. I mean, he wasn't totally, you know, seized up. Mm -hmm. So uh, we worked on the brain. And uh, by about three or four sessions, he had complete control over his left side. Okay. Wow. Amazing. He could move everything, wiggle it, stand on it, hop on it. I had him doing all that. And then I said to him, when you come back next time, we're going to work on the other side of your brain and get that side working. And we made the appointment. His mother called me up. He's sick. He says he's got a headache. He doesn't want to come. I begged him, but he won't come. All right, we'll make another appointment. Short version of that was he didn't ever come back. Why? Because he wanted to be a baby. He wanted his mother's <laughs> love. And all she ever did was fuss around him. So I had her come back. And I sat with her and I taught her and she was argumentative right away. And without her knowing, I gave her certain suggestions uh, and put her into hypnosis, consciously awake. I asked her to look into my eyes and keep looking at my pupils while I was talking to her because I said, one, this is going to help you. But what I was actually doing was everything that I spoke of was going into her because eye-to-eye -eye contact is unity. And uh, gave her, when your son does this, you can do that. And you will do that so easily. And she had no idea that she was being hypnotized. And then at the end, I just said to her, okay, you can look away and count three. And she looked away and counted three and said, what just happened? And I said, well, you heard what you can do with your son, didn't you? She said, yeah. I said, well, I just gave you that firmly so that you could do it with him. So she went back and uh, talked to him the way I said, which was a different tune she was playing in the way she approached him. And at that point, um, she realized, called me up and said, I can't save him. He doesn't want to be saved. I'm not going to make him come to you anymore. Okay. And I said, that's fine. That's his journey. If he wants me, give him the phone number and he can call. About six months later, he called up and he said, um, I'm sorry I stopped going. I just wanted you to know that I've uh, agreed to go into hospital and have some surgeries on my other side. I said, how's your left side? He said, it's still good. I said, why don't you come back and do the right side? He said, I'm afraid to be able to do everything. He admitted it. <laughs> and that's one of the things with you know MD is it, those people are in panic about living life. They don't want to grow up. They don't want the responsibilities of survival or what to do. They want someone to hold their hand all the time. And, you know, so unfortunately, you know, medical just cuts, cuts, cuts. You know, yeah. once they cut the body, I can't put it back together. I can get the energy to bypass there sometimes. But crystal acupuncture, how it works is the uh, healer's hand is 
is letting energy come from the oneness through the body and it comes out through the hand into the crystal. Now the crystal is molecules of cooled gases, now solids. So the healer's energy has to bounce around inside that crystal through passing around all the different molecules to get out. And because there's a constant stream of energy coming from the healer through the crystal, it's forced out. And it comes out at the tip on the acupoint through the body. Um, and as it runs through the body, because it's a force of a beam of light, you can't see, we can't see it in our vision because it's not, we don't have the vision for yeah. seeing that vibration. And if I even go deeper to explain it, that vibration is resonating within the crystal and so on. It's sound. We can't see sound. When you turn the radio on, you don't see the sound coming out. Mm -hmm. Okay, So it's up there in, in those kilohertz. And so it passes through the body. And then where there's a block in the physical body, it will force it open. And that will then in turn force open the etheric body, which is your lower self, emotions and mind, which will swell out. Um, you know, it's like a hot water bottle. It's flat when you're born. But every time you get some RNA and you believe negative and you, you know, and so on, it fills up with all of that. And over time it blocks and you get these little whirlpools, which we call miasmas that where your energy is going round and round in circles and next thing you know you're in pain yeah uh, uh, and you're off to the chiropractor or whatever and if you don't uh, sort it out then your bones wear down your muscles swell you get fat your digestive system goes out of whack you know and, and you're ill uh, so you know i'm always doing my own crystal work on me all the time um I have lost a lot of weight since my husband died. I did the same when I was looking after my father. I went from 132, I think it was, down to 123 with my father. Oh, wow. and I was going up and down, you know, from the apartment in London and uh, all that kind of stuff. And plenty of exercise, of course, walking everywhere because don't drive cars in London. And uh, so I went down to 123 and I said to my husband on Skype at that time, oh, look at me, I'm all wrinkled and horrible, you know. <laughs> well, when my husband died, I had the same thing. I, I had an, a, a center and uh, I had to give it up, won't bother with why, not me. It's just people wanted the apartments, you know, it's a, a floor that they wanted to use for something else. So I had to bring all the stuff I had there and I was going up and down, up and down, up and down stairs. Same thing, um, getting all my stuff from there back to my home, uh, which I'm now selling. Uh, and uh, I lost the weight again. So I'm down to 121 now. <laughs> uh, but I quite like me being slim. You know, uh, I've never been really fat. Yeah, um, I'm slim heavy too. So I feel, yeah, I like having a slim... Heaviest in my middle age, I was about 145. <laughs> <laughs> but we all do that in middle age. We get fat. We've got that to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, we ourselves. Did you know that? What's that? You cut out for a sec. Oh, we pad ourselves in order to protect ourselves. You know, so when you see a really, really heavy, fat person, mm -hmm. they are terri terrified of life. 
Yeah. And their, you know, relationships and their friendships and all these things are all uh, multifaceted in that they don't know how they fit together. So everything is guesswork. Uh, and a lot of psychology is, uh, you know, very helpful to these kinds of people in helping them to see their themselves and their life differently. So I do a lot of counseling as well like that. And Yeah, um, you're an excellent person to talk to. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I don't think of it so much as, you know, I'm excellent or something. I people just come and go in my life I love to help them when they leave I don't worry about them I'm bad at following up so I always say to them if you need me you know where I am call me back <laughs> yeah I I don't want people to build a codependency on me after all that yeah. would just be replacing something else you know with me or whatever I don't want that either I want them to find their independence. I can give you another example of a person I was dealing with who was coming to me and I'm not giving obviously she's still around but her ancestry is Greek uh, and and all the different religions and philosophies were all in there as well and uh, a tremendous amount of princess kind of feelings in the family being female uh, valued highly and so on means little girl doesn't grow up to become grown woman and so grown woman starts to get all sorts of issues and problems and she comes to me and she's been having headaches and I asked on her face and she'd forgotten totally about it but she did have a black and blue face carrying boxes she fell down some steps straight onto her face and I told her then, I told her then that her atlas and axis and her brain had shifted and that this was nothing to do with MS because the doctor told her she got MS. Well, MS is also a nervous condition. These are people who are worried and anxious and they want to be seen as top dog and struggle morning, noon and night to all the rest of it. It's a psychological thing. And uh, she just really well, I did what I did with her. She came out of her headache. She she was a whole bunch better, and, and but she didn't do the follow-ups. And uh, as a result of that, she decided that she was going to have all the the teeth cleaned out. Remember all that? Get all the stuff out of your fillings and mm-hmm. uh, and you know. So she went on this route. She saw hundreds of different people, different places. Some exaggerating, of course, but probably 30, 40 people Mm -hmm. all did what they did metaphysically, which is much of fiddling around, trying to find out what they think's wrong and doing whatever this. And the years went by and she's now in a little go-kart, can't stand, can't walk. And, you know, I couldn't do anything about it. She needed to do that. And I met her of all Devo. And you know, in great big arenas in Las Vegas. And I sat down and all of a sudden his she's two rows behind me in her little car. And we talked afterwards and I said to her, how are you doing? Uh, and she said, I'm a bit better than I was because my husband had been working with her as well. Uh, and uh, I said to her, 
Why, why did you do that go that way? I said, I can't help it. I'm just curious. I'm not blaming you. She said, I was too afraid to get better. Well, oh, wow. now she, yeah, she admitted that. Now she's, she's where she is and she's content to be in that, you know. So she's a lesson for the people around her. Do you understand that? Yeah. Yeah, she had to do what she had to do. She felt she had to do what she had to do. And in the process, she, her searching brought information to her family, brought information to her friends. And, and so she was sharing. And in her own way, she was giving. And there are a lot of people, I want you to know that, that come to be deformed or, you know, to suffer so that we who aren't can look on them and say, well, what's going on here? And why is that happening? And it's I really don't want draining. that to happen to yeah, but you want you want to. My own mother was a cripple, and she was a miserable so and so. But I learned I don't want to be miserable. You know, I didn't want to be doing what she was doing and thinking the way she was thinking. You know, so we all have the opportunity to break away from the way we feel and think and find yes. a new self. Yeah, and I advise everybody to say of family in like a year like me i haven't seen my three sons are in england for four years because of my husband being ill one thing another and now covid and so on um so i call them up on the phone and the first thing i'll say to them or when i physically get there is who are you today person i knew four years ago because x number of things have happened yep different person yeah yeah, because we change with every influence that comes along. Really negative. Then we just sit there and go, right? Yeah. I just can't do so, that sometimes. Just like you know, absor absorb other people's negativity. It's just really hard for me. I'd rather just not be around it. Yeah. Right. Your generation has come in with. Um, what year were you born? Eighty-five. Okay, you came in with the end of the Piscean energy still dumped in your lap. So came in with the influence of the Aquarian age overlapping the Piscean age. So you coming in during that um, brings you some of the history of Piscean age of what to do and not to do. But it also gives you what the Aquarian age gives you, which is a stimulant to the extra DNA strand. So your perception of this world is totally different from, say, a child born in 1975. Oh, yeah, that's I, totally. Very Piscean in everything, and they took everything from parents, habits, routines, and so on. The break. No, no, I'm not doing what my parents want. I'm doing the way I want to do it. Yep, that sounds uh, like me. And so, yeah, and that would have also given you your psyche, your impressions, your psychological ideas and thoughts and feelings over and above what everyone's teaching you. Um, now, the children born 90s to uh, uh, 2008, uh, they came in with one or two extra DNA strands activated from the spiritual point of view. 
I'm waiting for them to really get out there and be in charge because they've got to learn more and study the world and understand it. And then the children who come in uh, now, they've got three extra DNA strands. They'll be the ones that will really start to put this country and the world and every other country together. So we've got about, we've got a hundred years before we're going to see us in a peaceful state. That's a lot of years. Yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't be around. I'll be looking down on you or watching, see what's happening. You'll still be around, just not in your current form. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm just Jossie. But, you know, we, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know how we'll be or what we'll be. Yeah, no one knows. But we, we do know that um, you can incarnate, say, in your next life in 12 BC, or you could come back in your next life in uh, 300,000 AD. Really takes place out of space-time, right? The reincarnation process? One is no time. Yeah. So you just decide where you'll go, where you'll A, learn more, and B, do something good for others, or C, be destructive because it needs to happen so that whatever is going on will change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, when uh, I can't remember his name now, and I don't want to give voice to it particularly because it's negative, but when that young man blew out that bomb that blew out that building, and they eventually did end his life um, for that because there was kiddies killed and all sorts of things went on and bombing was a very bad disaster. You would have been a yep. child. I know what you're talking about. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say his name either. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what did we learn from that? We learned to appreciate our children. We learned to appreciate, you know, life and so on in many different ways. And then we came up standings and more care on not being so easy fees, you know, easy laid back about things. Mm-hmm. But but now, you know, we're still seeing other countries that are still setting up bombs, people killing themselves. Remember back in uh, to putting a bomb on their body and blowing themselves up yep. in front of people, killing people, you know, all of this is bad stuff. But if we didn't have that bad stuff, we wouldn't think about finding the unity and the love. She was saying? Yeah, it's so uh, polarized. Some peop- yeah. So some of those people have done bad stuff. It doesn't mean they're young souls. They could be very, very old souls. Because it takes a tremendously bad uh, thing to change us. Otherwise, we get sort of, oh, it's just one incident. Yeah, complacent. We're yeah, but if we get many, you know, then we stop and, and think, this has got to stop, you know? Yeah. So it's usually, believe it or not, old souls that can come down and do that. Now, in my book, Journey into an Unknown World, The Way to One is Revisited, at the back end, where we're talking about the higher and lower God self, and we're talking about the changes, you actually read that uh, Adolf Hitler okay uh his vibration was here 
All the other people who also were ascended souls came down to follow him to do the bad shit. So that, excuse that language, but to me, shit is <laughs> the, all the stuff we have inside us, not literally the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, then um, we would learn we're never going to do it again. And I was so amazed when we saw in Yugoslavia and that war, little war out there, that they went and did the same thing shooting all these people and putting them in a mass grave. It's like, how can they forget that so soon? You know, yeah. that, that all those German people came into that world to show us the absolute bad part of the Piscean age of, I'm going to control, I'm going to be greedy. And before that, we had Napoleon who taught us, you know, and before that, we had the, the Romans and, you know, we, we've had 3,500 years of the great Piscean age of people conquering, taking, keeping, holding, believing that gives them happiness, uh, as, you know, status and whatever. And, and we haven't learned. We still want power. Well, well the I think some people have learned. That away. Some people have learned. Oh, yeah saying that we haven't, but they haven't come to an understanding. You mean us as a whole? As a whole, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. As a unified yeah, yeah. we are a nation of humans. You see what I mean? We're not American. Yeah. We're not British. We're humans. And we're, we're all here. one species. Yeah. Exactly. One race. And, and yes, we've been uh with aliens who've come and uh changed us dna and structured us oh uh, yeah let's talk about that so, well um orientals obviously you can see a connection with the grays uh in the eye shapes um and <clears throat> when you think about the uh scandinavian and people up in the north of europe they're tall mm -hmm. and uh there you've got the arcturians and uh, we've got the Arturians Small are up people. there? The Arturians were tall, okay? Very tall, very human-like. So they inter they did some stuff with us. So their settlement was up in the north where it's cold because it wasn't cold then. It was land that was fertile. <laughs> you got to <laughs> remember the earth shifted and changed, you yes, know? Yes, yes. But, but we've all been genetically engineered so many times, you know? Uh, and... We are biochemical, genetically engineered species. And so we can be, as we are now, changed. For example, they can make a baby in a test tube, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't know, 12, when Spirit told me that Jesus was made outside the womb. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when I told I told my mom and a couple of people, they looked at me and said, Don't you tell people that? That's sacrilegious. That's heresy. <laughs> right. So I kept quiet. But then when the actual first test tube baby was made, um, with uh, a man, gentleman, who was uh, into doing astrology charts at that time, and he wanted to do that on what he thought she would turn out like. And uh, so he did his 
he asked me to channel what her personality would be like. And it was documented in England. I don't know where it is now, but uh, did it. And uh, I heard feedback from him that uh, it, we were accurate as to how she turned out. But I didn't what I know about the soul structure coding and, and all that at that time. I was just beginning to understand some of it. Uh, and so now I know, I, when I read what she was going to be like, I was actually reading a soul structure coding. Um, and I don't even know her name now, I've forgotten it. But uh, it wasn't important to me, I've moved on. But that was the beginning of our learning that we could separate the genes and that we could control, you know, we can bring something up and bring it forward or we can take it back uh, and retard it or we can uh, completely obliterate it depending on what it is. And now today they can even go into a pregnant woman's womb with the baby in there and do brain surgery or whatever it is that needs to be done. Wow. And and, and we, we think that's fantastic now save that baby and so on from being born but hey in the overview that baby knew what's going on because the spirit that's in that baby is probably out of the baby while they're doing it watching them do it because <laughs> when a woman's <laughs> pregnant the baby doesn't have the spirit inside the baby all the time we come out i know i remember my mother being pregnant with me so uh you know that there are things some people do remember children come out my my third son one day said to me that he remembered being in the womb and the other older boy said no you don't he said yes I do and I said let him speak I said to him what do you think it was like he said well I was swimming all the time and it was dark and it was warm and sometimes I just left and then I'd come back that's what he said and he was two that's so <laughs> cute oh my gosh so imagine what these kids are like now who are coming in with three DNA strands activated. By that, when I say that, you have to imagine the uh, chromosome and you've got the four lines that come down the middle. The actual imbibed um, outer area is the physical. And when you look at the physical, you can see all the little bumps and lumps in, on the edge of it. And that's what I'm talking about, where they're activated. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so they can actually um, foresee uh, the future. They're coming in with scientific, they're coming in with the arts and crafts, they're coming in with good communication skills. You've seen some of these kids go and speak to, um, you know, public people in public places and not flinch, you know, don't even look nervous. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I'm happy for the future, and I I feel that the uh, doing such wonderful good work. And what I'd like to do, not just as an expo, but bring us together to formulate a foundation. I have Universal Christ Church Spiritual School of Education, under which I function. I'm also an ordained minister, and my school is Sumaris Education Spiritual Studies. And so, some people who know what they're doing to come together and, and help us form 
a foundation that would lead eventually to what I've seen since I was a child, which is a school when I was a child, but now I'm an adult. It's a university purely of metaphysical studies. Because there's sounds so awesome. many that yeah. And you go in there and you study, you do your matriculation or whatever it is you have to do, and you get your doctors and you get your professors coming out for those generations to come because they're gonna need that. That's got to yeah. be part of their schooling. It's it's not just, oh, I'll do this when I'm older. They have to grow up with it. So these people have to teach teachers to integrate alternative ways into the way they teach children in their education lessons. For example, geography. I was lousy at it. I, I could draw wonderful maps, but I couldn't. I'd put the towns like in the wrong places. And I knew I'd never used geometry, geography, sorry, so or geometry, both of those, at the time. So I was lazy in class. But if those teachers had come at me and said, now in that town, there's a church, and the church is a very central place because everybody loves to go there because it's healing, it's wonderful town's name and I don't remember where it was <laughs> <laughs> on the map. So children want stories now they want they don't want to be lectured you know if you take shakespeare if you tell the child the whole story and dramatize it like show it as a, a movie as they have done for generations to come they're going to learn it mm -hmm. and they're going to love it whereas reading it in turn around a class like they used to boring monotone right. can't feel it yeah Education has to change. And of course, right now, pulling everyone out of school with the COVID, I think is a good thing. It's giving mothers a chance to bond with their children. It's giving mothers a chance to realize they can teach their children a bit differently. Um, it's giving the children a chance to look at images. What we have to watch is that they don't play and mess around too much. Yeah. Because, you know, watching videos uh, for education is one thing, but uh, watching movies and education and, and everything all day long on a, on a TV or a computer is just too much. That's so I, they have to play board games, do jigsaw puzzles. You know, uh, I remember fiddling for hours trying to undo bits of wire that were stuck together, mm -hmm. teach them to crafts, you know, whatever. These generations to come, they need that. They need crafts, they need puzzles, they need tests, you know, that get their mind thinking. I would say gardening away. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, I mean, you're, gardening you're getting there. them outside. I'm talking about inside because um, they're locked up, you know. Oh, well, yeah, um, they're locked up. But if you've got a garden, yeah, gardening. And, <laughs> you know, if you've got a tree, go build a swing. <laughs> you know, do something with them. Yeah, it's very important projects. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. And the other thing which you can't do right now is sports. It's it's so socializing. They learn. Yeah, they buff one another. It's the same with bullying. It shouldn't be happening. It's it's always happened. My dad was bullied in his prep school and so on in England. I was bullied in school. Um, my sister was bullied. Um, you know, it's always, it's a thing of, of, okay, but it's also the challenge. 
it's if I go back in ancient times to two men riding a horse with a long spear trying to knock one another off. <laughs> Yeah. Same kind of thing. I'm better than you, you know. And we have to realize that a challenge is a challenge, and we have a choice. You can walk away, as you said earlier, or you can dance the dance and enjoy it. Yeah. But never, never let anyone tell you that you're put down by them because they're yeah. small minded. Yeah. Who cares well, what small minded, I... simple minded fools think or say? <laughs> I know, but children are very sensitive. We've got to remember that. So sure. uh, I had one particular son was bullied a lot, and um, I put them in judo classes so that they could protect yeah, themselves. That's the only thing too. that ever helped me with that was just straight like punching people in the face, and that ended, <laughs> no. and that ended no. bullying <laughs> for me. Well, yeah, that can happen. And I got I expelled, but <laughs> the, but I wasn't bullied yeah. anymore. <laughs> no, let me put it in another way. That isn't, that's temper tantrum and resistance and angry. Um, <laughs> what I taught my children is the same as I said earlier. You look into the eyes of that person who's threatening you. You walk into their space, which they will do to someone that's bullying you. They walk into your space, right, like face to face and tell you you're no good. Okay, the natural reaction is to push them away because they're in your space. Instead, step closer so that your nose is nearly touching those and say, you have other things to do now, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds clever. But anyway, um, my, my, um, and you know, bullies always have other kids egging them on around and they see that they're not, they're going to realize that person is not weak. They're strong. Yeah. Cause inherently okay. bullies are cowards. Uh-huh. And then, um, another little story, my eldest son was bullied a lot, and my younger son was uh, the opposite, very protective and so on, nurturing. And so I moved the older son into the school that my younger son was in, in high school. And sure enough, somebody uh, was bullying, you know, my son was fine by then, he was older and he was able to handle but I took him away because it was a better school and so on. So anyway, my second son was now in school and um, the kids were trying to bully him. I was like 11, 12 years old. Now, he, as I said, they've been in judo. So um, this boy was at him and the others are jeering and he just stepped into him the way I said, looked into his eyes and said, you have a choice. You can walk away, or I will put you down. <laughs> well, the guy raised his arm. He was ready. He hit my son, and my son took that arm and threw him over his shoulder, put him down on the floor, knelt on him with his knees uh, on either elbow, and then said to him, are you ready to walk away? And all his friends are watching, <laughs> all right? Well, he walked away. The next thing I know, everyone's trying to ask my son to take care of them. And he came to me, he said, what do I do? And I said to him, well, you can become the teacher and you could have an after-school judo class. He said, I'm not ready for that because he was only 14 by then. Yeah. So, no, he was 13, 13. So I said, 
You don't have to do anything. Well, Neil, my older boy, who was also in judo, was listening. And today he's a judo teacher and has been for many, many years. <laughs> That's fantastic. interview. There's so much more I want to talk to Dr. Margaret about and I have so many more questions I want to ask her and uh, yeah, she's one of a kind. Make sure you check out all her books on Amazon and make sure you get her latest book that's about to be released, The Light Side of the Oneness, as well as her republishing of the book Regenesis. Also make sure to check out her Zoom classes next month at easypeasysolutions.org. They're going to be awesome. And make sure to go check out her show over on iTunes or any other podcast host. Once again, it's called Journey into an Unknown World. And I've been listening to it and it's fantastic. Like really good. I definitely look up to her. And this interview was just extremely enjoyable. Inter I loved interacting with Dr. Margaret. It was a real honor. And I hope to have her on the show many more times to come. As per usual, all links will be in the show notes, so make sure you go check out Dr. Margaret's fantastic life's work. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and all podcast hubs. You name it, we're there. Shout out to my patrons, Paul, Ashley, Angie Allen, Stephanie Wilkie, Mark Lane, Leanna Watson, Linda Gonzalez, and Megan Crosswell. If you'd like to become a patron and uh, join this illustrious group of enlightened sages, then simply visit crypticchronicles.com or search for it on Patreon or you'll find it. It's not hard. Make sure to check out our social media, follow, subscribe, especially on YouTube and Twitter. We're kind of trying to build up our numbers on YouTube and Twitter right now because uh, they're low, but we're popping off all over the place everywhere else, like Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram. So go check it out. And leaving good reviews, five-star reviews, or, you know, just like anything, even bad reviews. I don't care. Just leaving reviews helps the show because it helps the algorithm pick up more in people's feeds. And I'll start like reading off some comments too from YouTube and from, I guess, Facebook, but, or any of the social media comments and, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. I'll start reading off comments because I think that's gonna be kind of interesting for everybody to hear what everyone's saying. Here's a comment from Sly Cover 01. This is just bad. The guy has a good voice, but when talking about historical things, he's a complete idiot. One star. <laughs> That's probably from the Nephilim episodes. But anyway, until next time, listener, I'm your host, Tim Hacker. And as a profound philosopher once said, Pain is the birth of wisdom.